So it, it is good to be back here. Uh, I, the last time I filled in here, I was a seminary student at Heidelberg. So I, I think that was, I think it was probably 10 years ago since the last time I was here. So it, it's a pleasure to, to be back here in Nebraska. And uh, if you would, uh, please grab your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 1, or you can look at what's on the uh, uh, back of your bulletin insert there. And keep that insert handy, because we are, uh, we're going to, uh, later on in the message, we're going to turn to, to the book of Daniel and uh, c- compare what we find in uh, Revelation to uh, Daniel. But our reading uh, today comes from uh, Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 20. So, beloved, let us now hear God's most holy and inspired word, uh, starting at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my, in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, our Heavenly Father, our good and gracious Lord, we gather here uh, to hear your word. We ask for your illuminating grace, that your spirit would open our eyes that we might see, open our ears that we may hear, open our hearts that we may believe, and also open our hands that we might go out and serve in faith uh, as we hear uh, this message. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, so sanctify us, that you would uh, strengthen our faith, that we might see Christ and trust in him more and more, and, and that we can behold his glory in this passage, yet hope, uh, hope in our salvation in his work, his perfect work. So Lord, be with me as uh, I proclaim your word. May it be faithful and clear. And we now pray that you would receive the glory that is due unto you. And we now pray all these things in Christ's name for His sake. Amen. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, I I did a little research uh, by going on your website, and I noticed that uh, this church 
uh, not the building, but the people, have been around since uh, 1877. So for 146 years, you have been a light bearer of Christ in this community. So let me ask you, why are you still standing? Why are you still a church in this community? Is it because of your strength? Is it because of your wisdom or your uh, doctrinal precision? And the answer is no. It's only by the grace and mercy of God in Christ that you are here as a church. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who maintains and upholds his church. And he has upheld this church for all these years. Ministers have come and gone. Members have been born and died. Uh, yet Christ still upholds you with his right hand. And also, it's, the, it's Christ who brings in new members. It's Christ who keeps members. It also, it, it's Christ who removes members. And sometimes Christ uses uh, unconventional means to bring people into a church. And I would like to give you an example of this. And the most unconventional means that God used to bring new members into Harriet involved our cat Smokey. Now, every two years, uh, Smokey gets into a fight so bad that we have to take him to the vet. And two years ago, we had to take him to the, 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 the veterinarian hospital three times in the span of, I think, three, uh, two, two to three weeks. And it, it was quite inconvenient because we had to drive uh, 40 miles to get to this vet hospital. But it was there that Angie and I met a, a young gal named Christy who was working there. And although it seemed like an, an apparent inconvenience for me, it actually led uh, her and her husband, uh, Tyler, uh, to join our church. So although it might have seemed uh, difficult for me or for Angie, it, God worked it out for good. And it's good for uh, the Lord to bring uh, new members into a church because especially young people because that is the, the future uh, of the church. It says that there is a future there. And we should thank God for preserving this church for as long as it has. Not very many churches have been around for 146 years. And especially if they made it there, they don't remain faithful. But let me ask you, we, we're, most of us may be dead and gone, but wouldn't it be awesome if you guys made it to 200 years? I think that, that is amazing uh, if, if that happens. I, I, I preached the same uh, sermon in Harriet. Harriet uh, has been around since, uh, the church there has been around since 1903, 1904. Uh, so for 120 years, they have uh, been a light, bearer, light, a light bearer of Christ in that community. But now, with that, let us consider uh, our passage. So, in our passage this morning, you'll find allusions to the book of Daniel. Uh, one way that we understand the book of Revelation is not by uh, turning on Fox News or reading the newspaper. Rather, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, we must go to the Old Testament. 
Because all the images that you find uh, there, uh, or at least most of them, can be found in uh, the Old Testament. They're not, the, these Im- images that we find are not new, they are not novel. So let's compare first uh, the, the servants of Christ. So Daniel and John. Well, first, both Daniel and John were exiles. Daniel was exiled to Babylon. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. Daniel was taken away from Jerusalem and the temple. And John was taken away from his home and fellow Christians. And second, both Daniel and John saw divine visions. When we think of the book of Daniel, we often think of the, the story of Nebuchadnezzar throwing Daniel's three friends into the fiery furnace or uh, Daniel in the lion's den. However, a good portion of the book is prophecy. It, it deals with seeing visions similar to what we find in the book of Revelation. And third, both Daniel and John saw Christ. Daniel saw a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ. John saw a vision of the glorified and resurrected Christ. And if we put both, uh, both what we see in Daniel and John side by side, especially with their reference of the Son of Man, we see that they saw the same person. The, the, really, the only difference is they were on the opposite side of the cross. One before the cross, before Christ's birth, and one uh, after the cross, after the, the resurrection. But now let's look at Daniel and John's vision side by side. So now we're, uh, turn with me to Daniel 7. Daniel 7. We're going to look at uh, Daniel 7 as well as uh, Daniel 10. But let's look first at Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. And by the way, uh, as you have your Bibles open, also have uh, the bulletin insert uh, next, next to the Bible so that we can c- compare and contrast these two different uh, visions. So Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 say, and which, by the way, first uh, we see uh, the presence of Christ in these these passages. First we see the presence of Christ. So verse 13 says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And then compare that with Revelation 1, verses 12 and 13. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. So both reference one like the Son of Man, 
which Son of Man was a messianic title. It was Christ's favorite. Uh, uh, it was Christ's favorite way to refer of himself. He refers to himself as the Son of Man at least eighty times. And in Daniel, uh, the point here is that Christ's rule is universal, everlasting, and indestructible. In John's vision, it shows that Christ rules over his church. He is present in the midst of the lampstands. Uh, and, and these lampstands represent not just, they are, but not just seven historical churches in Asia Minor, but it references churches that can be found in every age, every time. And also we see here that John gives a description of Christ's clothes. It says that he is clothed with a, a garment down to his feet and girded about uh, the chest with a golden band. So this description of, of these clothes is uh, someone of high honor uh, and, and respect. It's, it's the, the clothes of someone such as a, a king or a high priest. And in the Old Testament, one of the duties of the high priest was to keep and tend the lampstand that was in the temple, providing oil, uh, uh, making sure that everything is, is running well so that the, the temple could be lit continually. And as a church, uh, we are to be light bearers of the gospel uh, to the outside world. And it's ultimately Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, uh, that strengthens the church to be a witness to the outside world. So if Christ should decide to turn out the lights on a particular church, even though that church may still be standing, it may still have members, it's essentially useless because the, there's no longer any gospel uh, within that church. It's no longer a light uh, to those who are in darkness. Think of what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, uh, 13 through 16. It says, You are the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And, gives, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So along with seeing Christ's presence, the second thing we see in our passage is Christ's purity. Look at Daniel 7, verse 9. Which, even though the, the Ancient of Days, uh, many commentators believe, is God the Father, uh, we know that uh, although God the Father and God the Son are distinct, they are one true eternal God. But Daniel 7, or Daniel 7 verse 9 says, I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And then compare that with Revelation chapter 1 verse 14. 
It says his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. So Christ was and is without sin. He is perfectly holy. Being fully God, he is light. There is no darkness in him at all. And being fully man, he needed to be without sin in order to redeem us. So what Daniel and John are seeing, they're seeing the, the glorified Christ. And for Daniel and John or any sinful person to gaze upon God's holiness, it, it would be a painful and terrifying thing. Think of, think of wintertime. Think of when the sun is shining and beating down upon a, 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 a snowy day. If you don't have any sunglasses on, that, that, that beaming of the sunlight will really hurt the eyes. When we gaze upon the holiness of God and the holiness of Christ, it stings our eyes. And what I mean by that is not our literal eyes, but it stings our pride. It shows us that we are not holy in of ourselves. And although Christ's holiness might hurt the eyes of pride... Christ's holiness also heals sinners and those who believe in Him. In Hebrews chapter 7, it speaks of Christ being a perfectly holy high priest, able to save even the vilest of sinners. For it says, also there, they, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, Jesus, being he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens." Third, we see not only Christ's uh, presence, Christ's purity, but we also see Christ's perception. Daniel 10, verse 6, so turn there. Daniel, ver uh, Daniel 10, verse 6, it says, His body was like beryl, his face like the, the appearance of lightning his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like a voice of a multitude. Then Revelation uh, 1, 14 and 15 says, his, uh, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So this description of his eyes being as a flame of fire uh, shows that Jesus sees all, he knows all. The, the good that is done within the church that is unnoticed by men, Christ sees. The evil that is done in secret that, the church, that men ignore, Jesus also sees. So... Uh, the, the, an application to that is that there's nothing that you do as a Christian that is meaningless. 
Scripture says, whatever we, whatever we do in word or deed, whether we eat or whether we drink, we do it all for the glory of God. Everything that we do has a purpose. God will graciously ward, reward His people that do good works. But we also know that Jesus will likewise punish the evil that is done by the wicked and unbelieving in the church. So nothing is going to be left in the dark. Everything will eventually come to the light. In Luke 8, verses 16 through 18, once again, it references this light and this lampstand. So Luke 8, 16 through 18. It says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel, or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not, be, uh, will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for, whatever, whatever, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken away from him. Now, the fourth thing that we see in our passage is that we see Christ's power. Both Daniel and John uh, refer to the voice of Christ. Daniel says, uh, says his voice was like the voice of a multitude. So think of being in a room maybe a somewhat small room, a lot of people, and if everybody is talking, it's deafening to the point where you can't even, you can't even hear. You talk louder just so the person next to you can hear you. But then John speaks of his voice being like many waters. I've never been to Ni- at Niagara Falls, but I can almost... Uh, Assume that the, the sound of, of those falls are just deafening. So what this is showing is that when Christ speaks, there is power and authority. His words have the power to condemn men, but His words also have the power to change men. So His words can either hurt or they can heal. And we see this with Christ's description, or John's description of Christ, where it says, Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Hebrews 4, verse 12 speaks of this double-edged sword. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and from joints from marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. And although we know that Jesus is fully man, His divinity is on full display here. Oftentimes, when people try to depict Christ in art, they depict Him as He was on earth. You don't find very many depicting Him as He is now in heaven or what we find in uh, the, the book of Revelation here, uh, nor do we need to. Uh, the, the point of this is not to try to uh, make an image of Christ that is in, in completely match what we find in it. That would be silly. 
But the, these Im- this imagery that we find in the book of Revelation is to tell us something about Christ. So let's now compare their responses. So put yourself in John's shoes. If you saw what John saw in Revelation 1 there, how would you respond? How would you respond? Well, how did John respond? Well, it says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And Daniel had a similar response. I, I think, I, I didn't write this down right, but I think it's Daniel 10, uh, verse 7. Could be Daniel 8, I, I I should have wrote that down, but this is what it says. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his word, and while I heard the sound of his word, I was uh, in a deep sleep on my face, with my face on the ground. So, for Daniel, the strength was sucked out of him. And for to stand before the glory and holiness of God in of ourselves, without Christ, no man could bear. Uh, a couple of years ago, I found an interview by a British actor and comedian named Stephen Fry. And I went back, uh, when I wrote the sermon, I went back and looked at that, that, uh, that interview. And basically, Stephen Fry, the interviewer, was, interview asked him this. What he would say to God if he died and had to confront him. So what, what would he say to God if he died and had to confront, confront him? And his answer even made the interviewer cringe. And, and you may even cringe uh, as you hear this. But this is what Stephen Fry said. He says, I would tell God this. How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It is not right. It is utterly, utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is full of injustice and pain? So let me ask you. As far as I know, Stephen Fry is still alive. But when he dies, is he going to be able to say what he said in this interview? And the answer is no, he's not. What's going to happen, unless he repents and believes on Christ, he's going to be utterly speechless. He is not going to be able to to say these insulting things to God. All he's going to be able to say is what Isaiah says. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. So despite here, though, 
Despite John falling down at the gaze of the glory of Christ, Jesus calms his terrors by saying this, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. These were words that the the apostles had heard over and over from Jesus. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This it is I. Think of what Jesus says in, in the face of persecution and false accusations. Jesus says to them, "Do not do not fear." In the face of worries and the cares of everyday life, Jesus says, "Do not fear." And when they, uh, when they were in a, a boat all alone and they saw a figure walking on, on the water, which was Christ, and when they thought he was a ghost, Jesus said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So, so what, what is Jesus doing here? What is he doing here? Why, why does John not have to fear the presence of Christ. It's because Jesus has redeemed John. Christ has defeated sin and death. Christ died the death that John should have died. And and Jesus conquered the grave where John's body would one day reside and where his body is residing now. So Jesus says to John, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So what Jesus is doing here is he is reminding John of the gospel. He is reminding John that he had been purchased by Christ's blood. He is reminding him that his sins have been forgiven. He is reminding John that when Jesus said that it was finished on the cross, salvation was finished. And as believers in Christ, Jesus says to you, do not fear. Do not fear. Because you belong to Jesus, you are forgiven. And your salvation is finished. There is nothing that you have to do to earn salvation. It is finished. Christ has made you accepted before God. And when we enter into heaven, and it's not going to be because of our own righteousness, but it's going to be because of the righteousness of Christ, uh, God is going to say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. He will not say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. The the difference there between us and Stephen Fry is we believe in Christ, he does not. And I pray that Stephen Fry will come to his senses. So our, our passage closes here with these words. It says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So, uh, 
I'm not going to get into the whole detail with this, but uh, some believe that the reference to angels, or the, the, the angels are ministers. So what, what I want you to notice here in this passage, that it's Jesus that has these stars uh, in his right hand. Or you, you can also say he has these churches in his right hand. Uh, and, and what that is showing is that Christ is the one who upholds his church and also the ministers who proclaim his word. And the, although we are to be faithful, we are to preach the word faithfully, we are to live in thankfulness unto Christ for the salvation that he has accomplished for us, we have to realize that the health and growth of the church is dependent upon Christ. It's a dependent upon him, and he uses those means to carry out his ends. But he is the one, he is the sovereign one. And, and that's ultimately what we see in this passage. That Jesus is almighty, he is sovereign, he is holy, he is pure, he is present within his church. And if Jesus is the one who keeps and grows his church, then we must be in prayer trusting that he will grow his church, he will increase his church. And being almighty... Christ can save anyone and everyone he so pleases. Even the worst of the worst, he can use unconventional means to bring people into a, a, a church. And so in, in the beginning of, this path, beginning of this sermon, I mentioned how God brought uh, a couple to our church using a cat. I'm now going to close by giving you an, an example of God using a dog to bring someone to church. And I, I, this comes from uh, Spurgeon. He gives this illustration. He says, I have read of a woman who prayed long for her husband. She used to attend a certain meeting house in the north of England, but her husband never went with her. He was a drinking, swearing man, and she had much anguish of heart about him. She never ceased to pray, and yet she never saw the results. She went to the meeting house quite alone, with the exception, with this exception, that a dog always went with her, and this faithful animal would curl himself up under the seat and lie quiet during the service. When she was dead, her husband was still unsaved, but the old dog went to the meeting house. His master wondered whatever the faithful animal did at this service, and curiosity made him follow the good creature. The dog led him down the aisle to his dear old mistress's seat. The man sat on that seat, and the dog curled himself up as usual. God guided the minister that day. The word came with power, and that man wept till he found the Savior. And he closes with this. Never give up on your husbands, good women. And you can say, you can flip that and use different examples. But he says, never give up on your husbands, good women. For the Lord may even use a dog to bring them to Christ when you are dead and gone. And he says, never give up praying, hoping, and expecting Fear not, believe. Amen. Let us pray.
Oh Lord our God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you today humbled by considering the, the glory of Christ. And it, it, is, it is a wonderful thing that we could see his glory and his holiness in this passage, but also see his tenderness and love which he has towards sinners. And we pray, O oh Lord, that, that we would be thankful for the, the fact that you have kept this church all these years, and we pray that you would continue to keep this church. Uh, and maybe even that they may reach that, uh, that 200th year anniversary. But yet, O oh Lord, we don't just want to continue for continuing sake, but may uh, this church continue to be a light, light bearer of Christ to this community. Uh, may, may they continue to be faithful and true to your word. Lord, may you bring uh, new, member, new people into this church. May you bring them that they may sit in these seats and hear the gospel proclaimed. And may by the power of your Holy Spirit, may you change their hearts. May they, come to, may they weep until they find Christ as uh, we heard with the, the, the story of Spurgeon. And we thank you, O Lord, that, that you are the one who sustains and keeps the church. So we praise you uh, for uh, your presence and your power, your purity, and, 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 and everything that, that we see in this passage. We pray now all these things in Christ's name for his sake. Amen.